preached a message last week called How to Handle a Threat. We talked about David and Goliath. We talked about different things. You have to go back and just listen to all that. I cannot review. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll never get through. But we talk about what's a threat. All of us, all the time, you, you are threatened, okay? But if you go look up the Webster's Dictionary, what is, what is a threat? What does it mean? It's an expression of intention, the expression of intention to inflict evil, injury, or damage. The devil loves to come to you and make a threat. He tells you what he will do. Hello? Y'all with me? It hasn't happened. It's not real. It is not manifest. He didn't get it done, but he wants to threaten you. Because he wants you to start to move in fear, and he wants you to back up, and he wants you to get scared of his threat. That's what bullies do. They threaten. Hello? But when a bully finds out that you'll fight, then all of a sudden his threats don't work anymore. It changes the whole dynamics of the situation. All right? So it's a threat is what the devil says he will do. But where we have to live and exist is the fact of what God will do for you. Not a threat, but what God will do. What his promise says he will do. Then you're not threatened, you see. You're just living by the fact of what God said he's going to do for you. So you can, you can kind of remember it like this. What the devil will do to you and what God will do for you. Okay? Now we have a covenant with God. By the blood of Jesus, right? And so the promises of what he has spoken to us, that's what's really truth, not the threat. But let me just ask y'all something. Don't raise your hand. Don't look down. How many of you would say when the threat comes is sometimes it takes the faith right out of our heart? What we want to do is we want to become a Christian and we want to, you know, Come to the altar, we want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, and then we never want to have another bad day. That's what we really want. Am I right? You don't want anything to happen if anything comes up. I mean, you know, if you have a flat tire, you just go out and say, Jesus, I got a flat tire, and it, it inflates. The screw pops out, and it's fixed. Am I right? The truth of the matter is we really want... Uh, Jesus to be Merlin the magician. We really want Jesus to just, we pray, and then it's just, boom, it's fixed and it's taken care of, right? But we forget, even when we went back and looked at the story of David and Goliath, somebody still had to go kill Goliath. Someone had to go out there and face the giant. And the giant was making the threats. He told them what he was going to do to them. But then there had to be somebody like David rise up and say, well, wait a minute. Is there not a cause that we're going to let this Philistine come out there, defy the armies of the living God? We're going to let him stand there and nobody's going to do anything. And the whole army, trained warriors, wouldn't do anything because all they had been listening to for days on end was the threat. All they'd been listening to was Goliath going out there and slapping his yap. Right? Till it got into every one of them, how could we kill him? And then they begin to say, well, look how tall he is. 
Look how much his, 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 his armor weighs. Look at, look at how long his spear is. Look at how big his sword is. And, and they looked at all of those. They spent all their time investigating the threat rather than looking at the promise. And David walks up there, and he, he hadn't even seen Goliath. He hadn't listened to all the stuff. See, listen to me. Listen. If you only rehearse this in your head, the spear gets bigger every time. Goliath gets taller every time. His shield is even taller. No one can climb over it. Because when you rehearse the threat over and over and over again, you rehearse the you know, whatever the trauma is, whatever you rehearse that over and over and over again, then you know what's going to happen? It's going to eat you. It's going to eat you. You're going to be consumed with it. It's going to start to dominate your life. But why is it that we so easily do that? Why is it so easy that we can literally take the smallest thing and make a mountain out of it? But yet we can't look at God's promise and make a mountain out of it. Why is it that we as humans are so, well, I don't know what we are, but we're something. So we just get ourselves eat up with fear. Then we're mad at everybody. Then we're grumpy. Then we're starting fights and we're not listening to anything rational. Somebody says something to us and we're irrational. Somebody says, you know, I, I, I dropped a, a, a nickel and I couldn't find it. Oh, my God, you're going broke. You'll never make it. That was the end. That was the last straw. All your money is going to roll away. Because we live in this world of negativism. We live in this world, and that's where everybody's a victim. In this victim mentality, you're living in the world, and you're a victim of everything. Because that's where you're living. We still have to fight the battles. We still got to kill some Goliaths. But once you get the taste of the blood of a giant, then you're like, man, you're a giant killer by the Holy Ghost. You're just looking for, man, you shouldn't have messed with me. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you ugly. I ain't going to have mercy on you. It's going to be ugly what I do to you. Somebody offends you and you're just like, oh, really? Here, you want my shirt too? Somebody steals from you and say, here, let me give you some more. You say, well, that's not killing a giant. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Oh, to walk in love? is the ultimate weapon for a giant killer because you can't be hurt because you know no matter how much you love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, bless those who persecute you, you, you become a, an amazing giant killer. But see, we humans, we don't want to do that because we see we are still dealing with flesh and blood. We're not realizing we're dealing against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We literally want to go kill giants. Well, the only giant to kill really is the what's inside of you. So I'm going to give you six points real quick. This is going to be the simplest message you've ever heard. You're going to turn around at the end of this thing, other than God's going to bless you during communion, or you'd leave and say, I don't think I got my money's worth today. Pastor told us it's the simplest little things. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to give you six points, and if these six points you write them down and you practice them in your life, I guarantee you, if you don't use them, I can guarantee you, you're going to get what comes. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 30, 
Now you got to understand, if you go read chapter 29 and chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, we're talking David, nobody in the Bible are you going to find that had more of a right to kill somebody than David did Saul. Every time David just came in to play his harp and sing a song, Saul got his spear out and threw it at him, tried to pin him against the wall. David didn't do anything. If you go look at David's life, he was just out with the sheep, tending the sheep, and then one day they go out there and get him and bring him in, and some old man pours oil on top of his head, and he's like, what's going on? He wasn't seeking to be the king. He wasn't seeking anything, but he just had a loyal heart, a heart that God was looking at. And he gets oil poured on him, and his life goes to pot. He was enjoying himself out there at the sheep. He was enjoying himself out there just singing and writing psalms, all the psalms you get. He's writing them and just enjoying life until Samuel pours oil on his head and says, you're going to be king. He didn't ask for it. He didn't pray for it. He didn't want it. Now he's got the king trying to kill him. But yet he's, got, he's still so honorable, and you read the whole thing, well, in 28, David finally says, I've kind of had enough of this. And so he goes to the Philistines. He's living with the Philistines, the place where Goliath came from. He goes to the king there, cuts a deal with him, and he lives him with them, among them. But then one day, it's time for the Philistines to go to war with Israel. So they all are going to war, so David mounts all his men up. And he's going to literally go to war with Israel because that's what the Philistines are doing. He's going to be fighting for the enemy. But God saves him in his ignorance because he gets up there and all the Philistine generals are looking and say, whoa, 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 what are these Hebrews doing here? They can't come in here. They can't come in here and fight. I mean, in the middle of the battle, they might turn against us. They're Hebrews. So David argues the point with the king. You know I've been loyal. You know I've been good. You know I won't do that to you. And he says, yeah, but they don't. So you go home. So David takes his men, he goes home. That's where the story starts. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, they're going home. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. That was his city. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag was attacked and burned it with fire, and they had taken captive the women and those who were with them from the small to the great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Anahom and the Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his son and for his daughter. Now stop. King David, his mighty men, he's pulled them out of the cave of Adullam. He's got this bunch of disheartened, discontented people. He's brought them along. He's helped them. He's encouraged them. He's strengthened them. He's made them mighty warriors. And now, because everything's gone, it wasn't David's fault, but they're going to stone David. So you think you're having a bad day? You think you got some problems? 
everything's gone, all your houses are burnt, your family's gone, they've lost everything, and now they're going to stone David. So this is what he says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now this is what you've got to learn today. I'm going to give you six points of how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I'm going to give you six points today about when, when the enemy comes against you, what you have to do. Okay? I'm going to give you a battle plan, a battle tactic, a strategical plan that when the enemy comes against you, if you would do these six things, I guarantee you success. I guarantee you success. I can't guarantee you the length of time, but I can guarantee you success. I can't tell you how long it's going to take you to saw the neck off Goliath, but bless God, you'll get her done. All right? So here's number one. I'm taking this from Isaiah 37, 14. Isaiah 37, 14. Here's another guy that was having a bad day. In the days of Hezekiah, the king. The armies had come against him. The city was surrounded. Everything was, was, was about to be sieged. They knew what was going to take place. They knew that they were going to attack Jerusalem and it was going to be destroyed. They knew everything was going to end in death. The king of Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah, tells him what he's going to do. He made a threat. And Isaiah 37, 14 says, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. The very first thing you have to do is you have to lay the thread out before God. You have to go before God, and you have to sit there, you know, Turn off the television. Hello? Get serious and say, Lord, this is what the devil says he's going to do. It's okay. You can lay the thread out. But you lay the thread out. This is what he says. Because 1 John 5.14 tells us this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we, know, and we know that if he hears us, that whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we've asked from him. So you're going to the place to find your answer, but you've got to lay it out. It is okay, listen to me, to whine to the Lord. It's not okay to complain to the Lord, but you can whine. There's a difference. It's okay to go and say, you know, Lord... This is the report the doctor gave me. I I, I don't really know. I don't know how this works in my body. This doesn't sound good. Man's not giving us much hope. And I'm just laying this out before you because, Lord, I need you to tell me. I'm going to go into the next point here. We've got to find our answer. That's number two. We have to find the answer. We're laying it out before the Lord to do number two, find the answer. Well, you're going to find the answer in the Word. But Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. You know, there's a few scriptures in the Bible that really blow my mind we don't use them more. I don't know how many people have sat in my office talking to me about a problem or a situation they're in or something, and they say, Gosh, if I just wish I wouldn't have done this, or I wish I wouldn't have done that. Because then this happened because I did that. Okay? And I think of the scripture, James 1 and 5. If any man asks for godly wisdom, he'll give it to him. Here's another one. Ask and it shall be given. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. There are promises that are so simple, I don't know how we could miss it. But we didn't stop and ask for wisdom before we did something. We didn't really ask and seek so that we could find. We threw up a flippant prayer and then did what we wanted to do. Everyone say, ouch. It's the truth. We say, oh, well, I've prayed about this. I've really sought the Lord on this to make sure that what I did was right. <clears throat> okay, what did that entail? Well, I mean, I said, Lord, show me what to do. And then I just did it. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty big step. You know, you sort of like taking a little time and maybe talk to somebody to see if you were reasonable. I'm just trying to help you here this morning. What we do is we say, okay, Lord, what should I do? Uh, I'm seeking you. I'm going to spend the next three minutes. And if you don't hear, tell me I'm doing this because that's what I feel like I should do. I never forget when I was a young boy, we had a, a horseshoer and, and he was a, a, a extremely large um, African-American man. And uh, he, uh, he, this, I learned, God bless him, but I learned every cuss word in life from him shoeing horses, listening to him as a kid. Anyway, one day he got me over there. He's a big boy. And he got me over there and he said, I want to tell you something, son. Don't you ever mess with drugs. I was like, just came out of nowhere. He said, I'm telling you. He said, I, 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 uh, I, I one time decided I was going to haul drugs, make money. It looked good, looked easy, looked like easy money. But I'm telling you, he said, I loaded it in Uvalde and made it to Canipa and got caught. It's like, you weren't very good. <laughs> He said, I had to spend some years in prison. You don't ever want to go to prison. So, boy, you, hope you go straight. I mean, like throwing the fear of God in me. Hello? So because of what that man said to me, that was always in the back of my mind forever. And I'm just saying a lot of times we don't have something in the back of my mind keeping us straight. So we just haul off and do what we think looks good. Get you in trouble. But the Bible says if we would lay it out before him, and then we would ask and seek. Seek takes some time. Then we would find. For everyone who asks, they're going to receive. And he who seeks is going to find. And him who knocks, it will be open. What was interesting about the Hezekiah story that I gave you in the last one, in, in, in Isaiah 37, 21, after he lays it out before the Lord, the Lord speaks to Isaiah the prophet and he goes walking in over to where the king has laid this all out and says, uh, yeah, the Lord gave me a word to give to you. And he gets his answer. So this is, the, this is, a, this is the, our battle plan. The enemy's come. He's out there. First thing you're going to do is lay it out before the Lord. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to begin to seek the Lord for the answer. You're going to find it in the words. You're going to find it through your friends. You're going to find it through somebody is going to help you. And give you the truth. Amen? Third one. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life's in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The third thing is, is you're going to have to start declaring the truth out of your mouth. Okay, so the enemy said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. The truth, then out of your mouth is... No, John 10, 10 says, I can have abundant life through Jesus. I declare abundant life through Jesus. You start to speak the truth out of your mouth. 
There was a movement when, when, when people first started trying to preach this, they, I, I will admit they kind of got off. But there was a big group of people that tried to say, well, you can't do it. Just name it, claim it. Okay? And I don't know. Some of you may have never heard that, but that was a big deal during the 80s and the 90s. Name it and claim it. Okay? And you just speak it out of your mouth, you're going to get it. Well, that's not true. You can go walk around all day long and say, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog. You may act like a dog, you may smell like a dog. You may even resemble a dog, but you are not a dog. Hello? No, what it's talking about is that you begin to declare what God will do for you, not what the devil said he would do to you. There's a big difference. You're simply putting your faith in God's word and his promises for you, and you're just speaking it out of your mouth. That's not name it and claim it. That's declaring God's word of what he promised you over your life. Right? Hebrews 10 and 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We have to have a confession of hope. <clears throat> How would you like to be a part of an army going into battle and everyone is turning to each other and saying, well, we're going to lose? I wouldn't want to be a part of that. Although one night I do remember this. When I was junior in high school, we had to go to Fall City and play Fall City in 1A football. And that year they were ranked the state champions. And we'd heard all the stories. And we kept trying to convince ourselves we could maybe hold out. We could do something. And I'll never forget the feeling when I got down in my stance on the line and I looked across. And when the guy across from me looked at me, had a full beard, I was like, I'm going to die tonight. <laughs> and at halftime, the coach had a hard time getting us to go back out on the field. Because defeat had set in. We were tore up, ripped up disappointed, and everybody was saying, we're going to go out there for another half of dying. We couldn't work up a good confession, okay? But in this part of life, and I see this with people. I see this with people when they get down and discouraged, immediately their tongue goes into negativism, and then that's what comes out of their mouth because they're tired. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, like, like there should be a contraption like a pair of miniature vice grips that we could just snatch onto our, our lips and lock them, give our wife the key and say, don't turn these loose, don't open them until I can get myself straight because we speak such negativism out of our mouth. We start rehearsing what the enemy said he would do, not what God will do for us. Amen? So your confession is important. It's the third thing you got to do. The first one is you got to lay it out before the Lord. The second one is you have to seek your answer. The third one is you have got to get your confession straight. You're believing in God. God, you're going to deliver me. God, you're going to set me free. Today, I'm going to be, I'm going to, tomorrow I'm going to be better than I am today. God, you're here. You're with me. You're, you, your promises are true. Abundant life surging through my bodies. I declare right now that my body functions in total perfection. The God you created to function. Of course, according to Genesis 1.31, when you made me, you made a good thing. So good things shut up and function. That's the way you got to talk. Okay, the fourth one. All right. Joshua 
It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The first, fourth point is simply this. You have to change your thinking. Folks, I'm telling you, if your thinking is automatically a thought of defeat, well, everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. Oh, I heard having the flu over there in that town, it's probably going to get on me. If this is your thinking, it goes right along with your confession. Do you know that if you can line your mouth up, you can get your thinking straight? But you can't get your thinking straight if you don't line your mouth up. Because you keep hearing yourself. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. Sometimes if you just be quiet, things that you might find a place of peace, if you could just be quiet. But then you've got to deal with your thoughts. Okay? So what did he do? He says you got to meditate on the word. You know how we complain about the nursery rhymes and kids' songs that get hung in your head and you can't get them out? Like right now, I could just sing a little jingle for you, and you'd all be stuck in it, tormented with it all day long. Because that's the way your mind works. But do you know also you can just, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I don't remember the rest of the song, Lord, but his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Devil rises up and says, gonna hit excuse me. His name is Jesus. Start making up your own songs. You can do it, but you have to change, you have to meditate on it. You have to change the way you're thinking. Well, isn't that mind control? What do you think the devil's doing? Well, it feels natural just to think negative. Yeah, because that's part of your old flesh, part of your old man. You got to renew. The Bible says in Hebrews 12. I mean, Romans 12, we have to renew ourselves, renew our, transform our bodies, transform our thinking. Hello? Don't just do it because it's easy. The easiest thing to do is to quit. You hear what I'm saying? Anybody can quit. You just simply say, I quit, and you just quit. It takes a man or a woman of God to work through a situation to get to the other side and see victory. That's who God's looking for. That's why he says in the ones that make it to heaven are called the faithful, the called, the faithful, and the chosen. You got to have some fight in you. Fight to do right. Why is the world in such a big, you know, uh, about divorce? Because it's easy to quit. Who wants to work the marriage out? Just get a divorce. Who wants to work the relationship out? Oh, just get a divorce. Because it's easy. It's easy. Your flesh says do it. Woo! I'm preaching good. May not want to hear it, but bless God, I'm shaking and you're waking up. I'm giving you a battle plan for victory. You do not know. Listen to me. If you think my life is so easy that I just got it all like, you know, I'm the pastor and I get grace. Well, that's bull. I get more fight, more problems, more situations, more things going on in my life than probably most of you because of where I'm at. You don't know how many times the devil wants me to quit. You don't know how many times that he comes with that piece of paper sitting before me with the flamey fires of hell on it and says, just quit and it'll think it'll be easier. Yeah, you better think about it. You don't know how many times that is like to do the mic drop. Just say, amen, Whoa, drop the mic and walk off. But you see, I'm just too hard-headed and I just know what Jesus did for me. And I wouldn't quit for nothing. 
Ain't no devil in hell running me off. There ain't no problem situations. I don't care if my limbs fell off. I'm going to be up here. They're going to wheel me up here. Hold me by a, a, a rope up here and hook me in the back of the shirt, bless God. As long as I got breath in my lungs, I'm going to keep preaching. Because I know it's the truth. But we give up so easy when we're as Christians. And we just give up and quit. We say, well, I just, this is what I'm thinking. It's just in my mind. Nobody but me. And we just quit. Get a divorce. Divorce world. Divorce everything. Because we don't have a battle plan. We don't understand that the devil is trying to take you out. And that he is a defeated foe. The skunk is defeated. But we're letting him talk trash. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We're letting him talk trash to us and get us convinced that we're not going to make it. And then we're giving him all this power and all this authority. You know, he's, I don't know how we can overcome this. When all you have to do is change what's coming out of your mouth and then change, start changing what you're thinking of and watch him disappear. There's this show. I think I've said this before, but there's a, I haven't seen it much, but... It's a car, it's a deal where this guy goes and buys these old cars. It's not one of these restoration deals. It's where he just literally goes out, he finds a car that's been sitting in a barn that is just looks terrible. Looks terrible. And I mean, just dust all over it and just everything, and the rats have been in there and everything. And he goes in there, negotiates a price, and buys this car, and he takes us to his shop. And they get to go in there with the power washers, and they get to get all the little scrubby brushes, and they got all these different solutions, and they start putting it on there. And then he takes the car, then he goes in the inside, they pull everything out, they get everything out, they take all the seats out, they power wash this thing. And then he's just got a, a hull, a shell there that looks pristine. And then he sells them. He doesn't go through the whole restoring of the car, he just does that. Gets him to that deal, makes a couple of thousand dollars off every car he does. And I'm shocked at how ugly something looked, but then they just went in there and polished it all up and how good it looked afterwards. I'm like, wow, to be able to see the potential in that vehicle. Because when I would look at it, all I'd see is a whole bunch of work, not really know what to do, how to do it. It just would seem to me to be an impossibility. But because these people have done it, Listen to me. They've done it, so they look at it. It's like, well, that's no big, that yeah, it won't be a big one. It won't be hard. How much more when you get it down on the inside of you, these principles I'm talking about, that when a problem rises up and you're like, ah, nah, you know, eh, it won't take much to get that cleaned up. I wouldn't even know where to find a part for some old car. Right? But these guys, they got hotlines. They call old Charlie, call old Oh, Bubba over there, and Bubba's got the part and brings it over. He said, no, no, you need that gas cap? Here's that gas cap. Just what you need. All right? So it takes me to number five, which is at this point. Romans 8 and 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called, who are called according to his purpose. People misuse that scripture. People twist that scripture. People make that come out and say, You should be go just smiling going through hard times. That's not what that scripture means. It means that... It was written to give you confidence. Everybody say confidence. Give you confidence that God will bring it to pass. Or God will do what he said he'd do. Hello? That's what that scripture is for. But there's a fifth point. Once you have laid it out before the Lord, once you've sought your answer, once you 
begin to get your mouth straight, your confession straight, and you begin to get your thinking straight, well, then your confidence will begin to rise that God's going to do what God said he'd do. Look, folks, don't even, don't even go there and, and, and get into, what do you call it, um, debates and stuff about God and will God do this or will God didn't do this and, and, you know, didn't, oh, Aunt Sally, she didn't make it and, you know, this one didn't do it. And, get out of all that stuff. Listen, you're living your life. You're calling the shots and it's your faith. Quit trying to compare yourself to everybody else out around there and what they did because that's going to get you messed up because you're not them, you're you. Hello? When your confidence begins to rise, then you're like, okay, I'm okay, I know how to do this. Like, for instance, I'm pretty sure that if I was in a, uh, let's say a 747, and they came back and says, is there a pilot in the house? The pilots are all gone. And no one stood up? To do anything, I can guarantee you I will not sit in my chair. I will go to the front and say, I don't know how this baby works, but put me in a seat. I'm going to give it a shot. Everyone who's a pilot, especially a big commercial aircraft, said, I will kill us. I'll kill everybody. And I said, it don't make no difference. I'm going down fighting. Right? Give me a wheel. Give me some pedals. Throw me the throttle is, and bless God, just by miracle, we might get this thing on the ground. Right? They say I won't, but that's okay. That's their thoughts, not mine. Because I have confidence that maybe I might fix it, figure it out. Don't let the devil beat you down in life so much that you don't have any confidence. Because you're not having confidence in yourself. You're having confidence in God. My Jesus, my Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the throne of God, will make it work out. He promised me he would. He will. I don't know how, not my job. My job is to believe in him. Amen? Okay. All right, I got to hurry. Another scripture to go with that is back to my Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast and confession our hope without waver for faithful, for, for he who promised is faithful. You got to understand God's faithful. Okay, so this is the last one. I want you to go back to 1 Samuel 30. I want to show you one more thing. I pray this is helping you. 1 Samuel 30, 17. So David, the story goes on. He gets his guys up. He encourages himself in the Lord. He gets them and he goes off to, uh, to fight the Amalekites or get his family back, right? And they're going along and they find this uh, uh, Egyptian boy who got sick that they left behind. He, he tells them where they're at. David goes out there. They attack him. And so I'm picking it up in 1 Samuel 30, 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small nor great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything from which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds that they had driven before them and other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Okay, this is what I want to leave you on the sixth one. All right, when you're in a battle and you're fighting through this and you've laid it out before the Lord, you're seeking the answer. You're 
controlling what comes out of your mouth. You're getting your thoughts lined up. You're getting your confidence in him. You've got to go to a happy place. You've got to find a happy place to be thinking about. All right. This is your happy place. The Amalekites that had attacked Ziklag was only one town that they had been attacking. They had been doing this, and they had a huge, vast amount of spoil that they had taken from other ungodly towns. Okay? So when David then defeats them, all the spoil, the riches, the wealth, the livestock, the everything that the Amalekites had taken is now David's. David at this point, from this bad situation taking place at Ziklag, this is how God financed David to literally build the kingdom and develop all the wealth that he left for Solomon to build the temple. It was right here. The sixth thing you got to start to do is you got to start to become excited about prospering. Hear what I'm saying. You say, well, how am I going to prosper out of this? This isn't anything but costing me money. Really? You telling me God can't do something? God can't pull a miracle out? God can't do something to prosper you? You need to start saying, okay, Lord, I'm going through this situation, this problem, but I just believe in you right now that you're going to prosper me out of this thing. I'm coming out of this more educated, more of a knowledge of you, more of a, you know, understanding how to help people, more knowledge of your word and your promises. I'm coming out of all that, but yet, Lord, I'm going to prosper in this whole situation. You say, well, how can I do that? I, I don't know. That's not my job to know. It's my job to preach it. Maybe you write a book. Maybe you write a song. You say, well, I don't know if I could do something like that. Okay, well, you know, maybe a meteorite misses your house and hits in your front yard. They're worth a lot. Don't y'all know that? <laughs> You mean to tell me y'all have not prayed for a meteorite to hit in your yard? I have. One night we come to church and, and, and Bethany and, and Andrew and them were here uh, preaching. And we were leaving the church on a Wednesday night. And we were driving out the road to my house. And it's the closest I've ever seen a streak. Looked like it was right over the road, but it, it went into the next field, next ranch or more. Could have been Dehennis, you know how you can't really tell. But I was like, oh, and they said, oh, my gosh, did you see that? I said, yeah, missed it. I was hoping it hit over here in my, my place so I could dig it up. Them babies are worth a lot of money. I don't need oil. I just need a meteorite to hit. They're falling all over the place. Come on, God, get the coordinates right. <laughs> Miss my house. I don't want it to go through my house. Just kaboom right out there in the yard. Make a little crater hole. I'll use it for a tank. All kinds of good things can come from a meteorite hitting out there in your yard as long as it doesn't go through your house. I don't know, but I just know this. Your attitude has to be, I'm prospering through this. Maybe one day you turn and, and pray for somebody. You said, oh, my gosh, I was wondering what to do with this $10,000 I had in my pocket, and God just showed it to me to give it to you. Well, those kind of things don't happen to me. Exactly, because you don't believe it. Happens to me all the time, and people don't even know I'm a pastor. Because I have my expectors out. I'm believing God for something. The other day I went into a store, bought something, 
And I knew they rang it up wrong. I said, wait a minute, you rang this up wrong. You know, it was like, whatever. And I was $10. She shorted herself $10. And I said, you shorted yourself. This is not right. She didn't ring us up. See, this was this much, and this was this much. And had four items. This is this much. She's ringing them. She said, well, today's your lucky day. And I said, no, uh, it's going to come off of you. No, sir. Uh, I'm just going to call that one's own cell, and there you go. And I'm like, well, no, I want to I pay you. And so I got $10 out, throwed it down on the deal. So there. Give me nothing. And I thought, you know, you're pretty stupid here, Rob. <laughs> and she said, no, sir, I'm not going to do that. And she gave it back to me. Went in a place the other day, bought a pair of boots, went to pay for them. She rang them up, wasn't the right price. I knew what the price of boots was. I said, ma'am, you didn't ring it up. She said, oh, they're on sale today, 40% off. I said, this pair? She said, only that pair. I said, no, that isn't right. She said, well, that you bought the last pair of a line that we're not carrying anymore. And we discount them, they're on sale, 40% off. And I'm like, are you serious? And she said, yeah. I said, well, thank you, Jesus. See, I go expecting. If you walk into a store and say, oh, my gosh, look how expensive that is. And then you just walk away, well, dig through the rack. Believe in God. You say, well, that's just crazy. No, I do it everywhere. I get blessed everywhere. Nobody came and said, oh, that's Pastor Robert. Let's give him a blessing. No, they don't know who I am. Most of the time, they got the cameras focused on me when I'm walking this way. Is this guy a threat or what? Amen? You got to get excited to prosper. David prospered everything that it took to build his whole kingdom. He got out of the burning of his town, Ziklag. Came back wealthier than any man had been at that to that point because of this. Amen. So you know, be careful that you don't get yourself into a place where you get comfortable. Oh, I've got enough money in the bank. You know, it's working at me. I got my interest rates going. Got all this stuff like that. Don't live like that. Don't live like that. Man, be believing God for all kinds of things. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, uh, put your Bibles up and start getting your hearts ready. We're going to have communion right now. Those of you watching in the, in the, uh, the audience, uh, get your communion elements ready. Can I have my pastoral team, prayer team, whoever's coming down here this morning to help me? Come on down. Six points. Can you do them? I said six points. Can y'all do them? Okay. I'm telling you what, you got a battle plan for you now. So I'm so excited about Jesus. I'm so excited about communion. Because this is the one time that you can come up, and I can just tell you, it, you tangibly can get that piece of bread. You tangibly can hold that cup and know that the promises of God are real. There's no one today that should leave discouraged. There's no one today that should leave feeling guilty. There's no one today that should walk out of these doors that don't know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of their life. The Bible's simple. It says if a man will confess with his mouth and believe in his heart and Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, he will be saved. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I wish I could have those promises could be mine, they can be. 
this is where it starts, making yourself right with God. There's only one way to make yourself right with God, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're out there and you're watching and, you're, and you want that, well, right now you can just stop and you can say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. Make me whole and complete and new in you. And if you pray a prayer like that sincerely from your heart, the Spirit of God will come and He'll touch you. And then you can do what Galatians 4, 6 says. You'll know inside of you that you are a child of God. And so I just encourage you, make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're in the audience here today, that's why we have these prayer team people come up here. I encourage you, if, you've, if you're questioning your salvation or questioning any situation going on in your life, just stop and pray with one. That's why they're here. And just grab their hands and say, just pray with me. And they'll pray with you. And you can have the greatest day of your life. Amen. So the Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread. He blessed it, broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, now take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we thank you for this bread that you said you are the bread of life. And we just thank you, Lord God, that today we can receive from heaven mending in our bodies. Because you so take and eat. Then afterwards he took the cup. And he said, this cup, this cup is, this cup is my blood that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of our sins. Take and drink. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you that our sins can be forgiven because Jesus, you purged our sin and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we thank you that today, Lord God, we're not going to live in guilt and shame. But, Lord, we're going to live today in victory because of what your blood has done for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Come and line up here and receive from the Lord everything that you need. Look at that person around beside you and just say, hey, I got a battle plan. How about you? Now, Father, I just declare that as we leave this building, we don't leave your presence. We go out into the world, Lord God, we do have a plan. We have a plan to walk in victory. We have a plan to slay giants. We have a plan to defeat the enemy would throw at us. So Lord, I just ask you to bless them. That as they go out, Lord God, bless them and in everything they do and everything they put their hands to, Lord, let them prosper. And we give you all the praise for it, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.